Come to Uncle Mo's for family fun. It's good, 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 good. Sounds good. Hello and welcome to Uncle Mo's Family Feedback. We look through the dizzying highs, the terrifying lows, and the creamy middles of The Simpsons seasons 1 to 12 through random episode generation. I'm your host, Tyler McRae, and, um, you know, quite frankly, I enjoy Ellis Celia as a guest. She's well-known in the cosplay community and breaking through as an e-gamer. But if she even tries to get me in a little attack on Titan or make me kawaii, I'll go, Oi! Celia! No! Ellis, Oh, I love that reference. Oh, I'm, I'm glad to be back. I do enjoy doing this. It always kind of, it's always a laugh. If you didn't get it, folks, get on your Harry Enfield hype. Trust me, he's all over Netflix now. But Ellis, um, a lot's changed now. You're now a dirty uh, uni fresher. How was that going? Yeah, it's, it's good. It's interesting. It's completely different to what I would have expected. Like... It's, it's definitely different to univer- uh, definitely different to college. And the episode we're going to be reviewing today is Saddle Saul Glatka from Season 11, Episode 13. Directed by Lance Kramer, written by Tim Long, with the original air date being February 6th, 2000. And with the couch gag being the Simpsons are all karate students and they chop away the couch. Now, this is um, commonly referred to as one of the worst episodes ever. In fact, um, we'll get into it, but comic book guy's even wearing a shirt. So how apropos with the worst episode ever print on it. What are your initial memories of this, quote, worst episode ever, this jumping of the shark uh, episode, Ellis? I remember it coming out and, like, the whole side story with Lisa was was enough for me, to be quite honest. And then they added the whole thing in with... with you know the the jockeys and it, it just it felt like very weak writing in comparison to the other episodes ah now my memories of this is there was my there was a favorite vhs tape of mine um back when we could afford sky in 2000 2001 and i remember I had about four episodes on this one and one of them was this episode there was the you know the vegan protest episode with lisa's log yeah. that one and a couple of others from season 11 so I always seem to remember this one and loving the silliness of it as a eight-year-old, as a nine-year-old. But now looking at it, I'll agree that it is, without a doubt, a bad episode. But I'm here to defend something, folks. I'm here to defend that there's still a lot of fun in this episode and a lot of fairly good gags. But I will say it is overall a bad episode. Any more before we do the deep dive into this, much like Duncan. I mean... I think one of the main things that I enjoy about it was the little Easter egg of Jim Cummings being in it because he is one of my, you know, he's one of my favourite Wait, Winnie the Pooh's in this? Yeah. What? Hang on. I've got my Wikipedia. Oh, bloody hell. So he is. Oh, he is Duncan. Yeah, he plays the horse. Oh, I guess they couldn't um, afford Frank Welker. For anyone who doesn't know, Frank Welker, if you've seen any animated show with any animal, he has been that animal. He's been every sort of noise, every sort of animal. Nibbler. Uh, for a few on Futurama. But yeah. Jim Cummins, um, what do you know of Jim Cummins then? Please uh, inform the listeners, Alice. But he's Winnie the Pooh and he's Tigger. And if I don't think I'm actually wrong in this, he was in the Powerpuff Girls as one of my favourite bad guys. Oh, wow. Uh, which one? The fuzzy fella? Yeah, he was Fuzzy Lumpkins. And he was in A Bug's Life as well. And A Bug's Life has to hands down be one of my all-time favourite movies. So Which he's, bug? He's been... Uh, he was the Fly Brothers. Oh, they, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they had a little cameo in it. Let's also not forget that he was in the Goofy movie. He was Pete. He was he was officially Pete. Oh, wow. Cummins got around then. Yeah, Cummins is... 
been in loads of Disney. He's he's the OG Disney guy. He's woven into everyone's childhood. My God, what a, what a magnificent man. Yeah. Can't fault him. He's the good part of this episode. Yeah. Sorry, folks. We've now got to actually dive into it. But yeah. this is... <laughs> But this is how the episode kicks off. We've got um, Lisa and the whole band, her band there. Um, they're busy practicing with uh, Lombardo, and it's going reasonably well. But they want to switch it up a bit for the upcoming state fair for this competition. And, you know, they want, don't want to do sort of old songs and that. They want to do something that's not Sousa. They're not sure what to decide on. I'm not a big fan of this B-plot because this is as much B-plot as you're pretty much going to get in this episode in this first five minutes, folks, because then they just sort of drop it it just sort of dissolves yeah it's kind of like a it's a filler essentially but it was a filler in one of the worst ways i mean everybody kind of was a little bit hit and miss on lisa anyway but this episode really took the ticket for me on my opinion of her well i mean we'll get into it later but people i think i think this episode in particular instilled the negative sort of stereotype of like oh lisa's a bloody moaner and a you know do-gooder and that because I mean, for the rest of it, I'm not. I'm not going to say, oh, I would have written it better in that. But like, I don't want to see someone write and complain. I'd rather have them like do like a physical protest rather than spend the rest of the episode just having a moan and writing and then giving out. Yeah, it doesn't really set a very good kind of like example of the hard work. But then again, like, when does The Simpsons ever really kind of set an example of good hard work? But we have the Simpsons family go to the state fair. I think this is where I just start defending bits of the episode, folks. But um, Homer's not a great person to his family, but he does come out with some fairly good lines and some fairly good jokes in here. Yeah, I mean, we can't really say much about his, you know, his love for his family. It's an interesting one, but he's a bit stingy. And I do like that about him. We have Marge getting um, overwhelmed by all the shite stalls. We've got the Omnigogs and we've got the Drain Bugger. A lot of sort of, <laughs> a lot of manic animation here. I love the animation and all these action sequences and all these uh, examples. I particularly love the Omnigogs because, God help her, I do. They overly write Marge as like, just sort of a typical, you know, nagging housewife in these uh, quoted dreaded Scully years, but. I love just, she gets to fill in, she's pretty much um, the voice in those, you know, infomercial ads, you know, like, oh, how many times have you folks, you know, went to get a paper and the band hit you right in the eye? And Marge just goes, no, but it's my great concern. Like, she's the perfect shell, bless her. Folks, how often have you opened your morning paper only to have the rubber band fly off and hit you right in the eye? Never, but it's my number one concern. Well, with the Omnigog system, those worries are a thing of the past. Oh. <gasps> I'm all right, folks. Thanks to my Omnigogs. Yeah. A little late for Lenny. Yeah, she she is portrayed as quite a sweet woman. I think this is the start of like the mini gags of uh, you know Paul Lenny in his eye. I think there's about three jokes in uh, the next two seasons or so where Lenny's eye just gets the business done to it, whether it's like. Fish guts, it's the Omnigogs, it's some um, jigsaws. I'm not supposed to get jigs in it. I'm not supposed to get pudding in it. <laughs> I forgot about that one as well. If you can, folks, please watch the compilation, it's good stuff. But then we have uh, Homer wandering over to um, this little concert setup. Bart asks, you know, who are these pleasant old men? And it's BTO, it's Buckman Turner Overdrive. 
Now I'm not I'm not real knowledgeable on this particular band, but I'm guessing they're your typical 70s rock. Uh, else, have you got any more info on BTO? Yeah, I I only ever listened to one of their songs, which is uh, You Ain't Seen Nothing Yet. I'm pretty sure it was on an advert, but yeah, it's a pretty solid jam. Would recommend. So you're not har harassing them to get to the working overtime part? No, no. <laughs> No, they don't need to be working overtime. But onto a bigger subject, um, I'll admit it, I've definitely been homering uh, this situation going to a festival or... I wouldn't say seen an act live, because if you've seen an, one act live, you know, on their own tour, you're, you're pretty much going to love all their songs. But Ellis, have you been guilty yourself of seeing some band at a festival and thinking, oh, I can't wait till they get to... X song and then you know they're gonna have to close with it because it's their big hit but yeah, you visited I saw Europe oh and I had, right I had to sit through every single song of theirs that I didn't know for them to play the final countdown as their last song someone that I was with actually fell asleep during the set we oh, had to wake wow. him up did the drums not sort of clue him or was he out like a light he was out like a light I've probably done it a few times I can't remember any but I'll remember um seeing Bastille come back to Redden after their big like debut singles year and they had that big song on FIFA 11 or 12 and god bless me there was some um, some seven-year-old right next to me and my mates with her family and while well, they're busy doing the b-sides and all that she was just screaming like play and if you close your eyes oh my god oh and like wasn't even the title of the song but it was just like that for a good 10 minutes which is cute for the first three, but then it got like <laughs> it got quite great, and then I didn't need that with my uh, Dark Fruits hangover. Now it's the Battle of the Bands with uh, Lisa's band, and you know they've done a pretty good performance of Living in America. Lisa with the Sassy Sax, she's done a very good job. Apart from yeah, like Homer's just been extra dickish, whether it was with BTO and like. <laughs> It's just him groaning when it's, oh, Lisa's going to perform and I hate jazz. Or it's, you know, the Marge has been ever so supportive saying, you know, that was the best performance of living in America I've ever heard. And Homer's just going, oh, third for me. Like, fuck me, man. Give it a... <laughs> I know they write him like that and it's intentionally cruel, but it just seems like, oh, come on, bro. Give, him, give her a break. In the words of Victor McDade, shut up. Ogdenville come out. And they're busy playing, you know, just all oh, stars and stripes forever. Lisa's realizing, oh, we ditched that song, so surely they're losers. We've got this in the bag. Um, but they pump out a bit of pomp and circumstance here. They've got glow sticks and they're busy flinging them about, waving it like a flag. And um, we get, I wouldn't say guest appearance, but a reappearance of uh, the comptroller from when Lisa gets that phony A. And this pretty much sways him all this pomp and circumstance and he ends up giving it to Ogdenville and Lisa's just vexed, salty, triggered, whatever you want to say folks and she's just not letting up with it and um, yeah I, I mean I've said it already but like I don't like a portrayal here it's like overly bitter I think there's a better way of doing it I don't know uh, about yourself here Ellis. Yeah I mean like I said before Shut up. The family end up wandering over. Um, oh, yeah. Homer's with his fried shirt here. Um, again, that good impulse of Homer saying, oh, you know, I told you that they could fry my shirt. And Marge with a killer line, like, I never said they couldn't. 
I said you shouldn't. But we're here with uh, Duncan, the Wonder Horse here. And obviously watching this with eight-year-old eyes, seeing a horse fall this far and just winning away is the funniest thing ever. But it's still got a dark chuckle out of me now, but like knowing the cruelty of like circus animals and all these stage animals, it just makes you think, oh, for God's sake. Like um, Jim Cummins does a great winnie and sort of pain performance here. So um, full credit to him and full credit to the animators. I think they did a good job with uh, Duncan on the whole. Step right up and see Duncan, the incredible diving horse. I wish people would stop telling me to step right up. Looks like he's ready to dive, folks. <laughs> Incredible performance by this water-loving wonder horse. Now, this is clearly a case of animal cruelty. Uh, do you have a permit for that? No problem, sir. It's in my car. You gotta stop being so trusting, Chief. Uh, I'd rather let a thousand guilty men go free than chase after them. Wiggum uh, informs everyone the nitty-gritty, like, you know, show's over, folks. Get ready, because <laughs> this horse is going to the dog food factory. But Bart's busy jumping in saying, oh, you can't let him go like this. Uh, but then it reaches the ultimatum of Duncan finds a home or, you know, he's a can of pedigree. Bart gives a loving look towards the family. Marge asking that question, should the Simpsons get a horse? And this is where but it gets... They already had a horse. You're right, Alice, you're right. Um, and then this is where it gets really meta. And I don't know if I like this because yeah, I I just don't know how to feel about this, Alice. Because I don't mind meta, but the fact it happens like twice in the episode with Family Guy coming back, and I knew he was always like the writer's voice of the critics, but this is very much them just taking the piss out of the audience. Now I don't mind some shows doing it, like because I mean the state of sort of criticism on Twitter I think's gone a bit far now as far as fans having all power and control but I think you know this the writers especially in these uh, seasons can be a bit mean with audiences interpretation or the fans interpretations um what did you think of uh the meta performances here uh, Ellis I mean I think my opinions on this episode are probably the same as the the initial reviews of this episode i mean like i said at the beginning i just i don't think the episode was written very well do you feel it was rushed or uh it was laziness or what would you say was the main uh problem don't know it just kind of feels like it was a churn out like they were just kind of doing it for the sake of doing it i suppose but then again this is a uh, tim long episode and he has had some good episodes but this is definitely not one of them. I will say, I've said it in our previous uh, episode we've just done now, um, Mike Scully, he got certain criticisms about him, but one of the reasons why the his writing team loved him is he let them finish at five. So um, I'll just I'll just leave it at that, folks. He allowed them to leave on time. That's, uh, that's all I'm going to say. But now the Simpsons have a horse. Again, they have Duncan... They're busy training him, or trying to train him. So Homer becomes um, the horse whisperer. Well, initially he tries to get um, part of his horse whisperer and is trying to get Duncan to play in the NFL. 
And it's a bloody good kick for a horse. I mean, looking at the um, that little scene where they have him kick it, I know for you NFL fans, if there is any uh, listening to this, and God bless you if you are, he was like past the red zone, so that's got to be a good 40-yard kick there. Very much a Matt Money Bryant there from uh, Falcons there. Um, yeah, I don't see why he can't make it. They need to be, uh, frankly, more inclusive. But unfortunately, that dream's not going to work out. But maybe as a racehorse, um, he can plug away. So they're busy training him again. They're getting him all painted up and suit and booted. Where um, Homer is trying to become the horse whisperer. And the first thing of becoming a horse whisperer, much like the TV film, is <laughs> is to seduce a lonely housewife. And again, I'm defending it again here, folks. There's just little bits here and there. And I think the first two acts aren't bad itself. I think they're actually fairly solid. But that's one of my favourite bits ever in this episode is when Homer just turns, he's outside his house, he turns to Flanders window and he sees more than he just goes, ma'am, tips his hat and she just, she just quickly shuts it. She couldn't shut it quick enough there. Uh, and if that hasn't happened to me multiple times over Tinder or a night out, and the best bit of advice he can actually whisper to the horses when the race starts, run really fast. So not the worst, not the best advice, but um, Duncan's got to take it. Homer Bart and Duncan end up at the Springfield race course. And um, I do like the, um, I think I've said it before in a f- few episodes previous that I like seeing Simpsons characters in different attires you know because they're very much a monochrome family but I like the fact that they're clearly the poor family with a painted on five Bart in his pajamas instead of a whip he's got a toilet brush and they're feeding him tacos there I just love the whole rinky dinkness of it the cheapness of it it's real it just really shows that yes this is the Simpsons pick what is your favourite um, outfit that any of the Simpsons have ever worn outside of their own? Oh, my God. Uh, what a question. All right, I'm just scanning through oh, Simpsons Hit and Run shop when you could buy all the... Um... Oh, it's got to be Evil Homer. Really? Yeah, um, that's one of the main ones I can think of. I feel like uh, Homer's Moo is too obvious because he looks surprisingly cute as a devil. I mean, mine's has definitely got to be Wedding Homer from Dead Homer Society. <gasps> oh, yeah. Oh, that I'd probably say that might even match mine, might even top it. Have you seen the meme of um, when Disney bought Fox and they were like, move aside, Cinderella, this is my real princess and it's Homer yeah. coming down. Oh, yeah. that's magical now. Homer in the wedding dress has to hands down be one of the best outfits they've ever worn. Yeah, that is a fantastic pick. Good choice. How do we do, do we, folks? Do you enjoy Simpsons podcast as much as this one you're listening to right here? And go check out our friends at the 411 Folks Simpsons podcast. They review The Simpsons uh, chronologically, seasons one, two, God knows whatever season they're on now, um, with jokes, japes, accents, and a whole load of fun as well. So that's the 411 Folks at Facebook. Also, if you haven't checked our podcast out, go to Uncle Mo's Family Feedback Podcast, a British Simpsons podcast, and the same on our SoundCloud as well, Uncle Mo's Family Feedback. Now back to your regularly scheduled listening. We have Duncan ready to race there. And, you know, it doesn't go too well. He gets a bit scared. Um, It doesn't really go that well the first race. And we've got another one of our guests here, folks. Uh, Wikipedia tells me but that commentator is a genuine commentator, Trevor Denman. He's um, a known British commentator for the Kentucky Derby and all these American horse racing events. I mean, he just sticks to what his real job is. But I think he does a 
bang up job here, especially with his um his last line he delivers about, you know, oh, what is this? The horses of the apocalypse, are they gonna turn over? This commentator thinks so. Goodbye. Could it be in a bizarre twist? A horse is abusing a jockey. Might this be the start of a terrifying planet of the horses? In this announcer's opinion, almost certainly yes. And away I go. I really like his ongoing delivery here, and he really nails that last joke, so I think he does a good job. Again, for yeah. me, a tick, another positive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's difficult enough as it is to kind of commentate, but to actually put commentate in character, I really, really have to, you know, tip my hat to him. Well, I mean, now um, you're learning about e-gaming for your course, and um, shoutcasting is one of them, so um, what do you think makes a good commentator? Or shout cast if you how will. much you know. So it's all depend it is all dependent on knowledge. Yes, a lot of it is dependent on knowledge. But as well, if you can get as much information in as possible in such a short amount of time, because that's what you have to do. If you can keep on top of that, then yeah. Because where everything's so fast paced, you can't afford to um and uh. I mean, I, I've I've tried it. It's, it's difficult. You you've got to know what you're talking about. So it's a matter of maximizing your minutes and getting these key facts out there yeah basically now um again um we'll get into i'll make my whole segment of tyler's born wrestling thing for duncan's quote transformation but um i'll briefly just say i was brought up with you know jerry the king lawler good old jr jim ross from commentary is it good to inflect your own personality for shoutcasting for e-game broadcasting yes. or oh it, okay you can do that then. yeah yeah it's it's who makes you you. It's what makes you stand out. And for those not in the know, who are ones to look out for? Who's good in a compilation for shoutcasting hours? Um, there. I mean, so you've got different shoutcasters and different. Uh, you've got different shoutcasters for different events. I mean, so the League of Legends Worlds finals are on at the moment. They're running until the beginning of November, and there's a duo, um, Medic and Vedius who just they bounce off each other so well and just turn it into a, a banter session and i think that's what makes it memorable for me if you can make it memorable then you know exactly who you like what to look forward to so after um duncan's first unsuccessful outing we're back at the simpsons home and you know, the b plots you'd think's pretty much dissolved well it pretty much has lisa's just given out over the phone trying to contact bill clinton trying to get her you know, her case even higher. But then she sees this sort of angry horse in the window and it's Duncan, but it's no longer Duncan. It's Furious D. Is that Duncan? Not anymore. Lady, say hello to... Furious D? He's the bad boy of racing. He's got attitude and batitude, so show him some latitude and you'll win his gratitude. Only in America. <laughs> I'll insert um, Bart's little promo here is um is catchphrases for duncan now um you know what? i'll probably even make a jingle or some sort of music here but get ready folks and i'm sorry ellis um gonna do tyler's boring wrestling thing here again you thought you got away from it with a uh, the combination of bart's ballet and you know entering the world wrestling entertainment and having your dreams cut short oh no you I'm better wait for this comparison for you. <laughs> you better wait for this comparison folks See what Furious D, or should I say Duncan has gone through here, is a quote, gimmick change. 
Now, in order to get to another level and to become more successful, it doesn't really happen in, I guess it happens in sports and acting itself, you know, reimagining your brand, rebranding yourself. But with wrestling, it's very popular. He's very much had his Rocky Maivia to uh, The Rock moment here. You know, he's got his brand new tats, he's got his changed hair, he's got a bad attitude. And he's got a nose ring. Which is actually Lisa's bracelet, yeah. I mean, what do you think of... I mean, well, before we get into Furious D's look, can you think of any... Obviously, <laughs> please don't let them be wrestling, because I just want to be on my... <laughs> by my own weird little self here. But um, can you think of a successful rebrand by a celebrity, any gamer... Anyone? Any brand? Miley Cyrus. Ah, yeah. I wouldn't say it's recent, but yeah, that's definitely um, fresh in a lot of people's she heads. She went from long hair to short hair, back to long hair and gorgeous. It's her reasons for going back, but I don't know if you'd know, but how come she went, she did that mental stage and then she tried to go back without... I, I, did she give an explanation on saying like, oh, that mental bit where I was sticking my tongue out and getting dry humped by Robin Thicke, I don't do that anymore because... Did that ever get explained? I think she was just trying to kind of figure out who she was, essentially. Because she kind of went from being Hannah Montana to being this, you know, this celebrity and never really got a chance to kind of explore who she was. So I think that was just kind of her doing a Britney. Ah, yes. Oh, God. I suppose Britney's an even more famous example. Yeah, the old um, head the shave old there. The 2007 uh, meltdown. Furiously has this brand new attitude here. And Homer's been as obnoxious as ever. Like Mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart, he too has his own air horn or mega horn there, blasting away the competition. But Furious D, you know, he's racking up wins there. He's racking up wins here and there, you know, beating people outside, shoving horses out the way. He's got the bit between his teeth. He doesn't care who's telling him off. He's um, truly a horse possessed. He's racking him up. Homer's loving it. And, um, all right, I've defended it long enough, folks. This is the part I absolutely hate. We're getting to the elves bit. Um, yeah, I'm guessing this is the worst part for you as well, Ellis. Yeah, I mean, the majority of the things in this episode is just kind of like, it's so unnecessary. Forgive me because I've, I've probably spent the lion's share of this episode talking, but out of the stuff I like then, like, is there anything that you can contest against? Like, are you not a fan of Duncan the character or are you not a fan of, uh, this bit of the story or is there any clash to I think for me like we've seen the Simpsons have a horse before I've seen Family Guy have a horse I've seen the Simpsons have a horse again I I feel like the Simpsons sometimes need to learn that if you've done the gag once you don't need to do it again it's like yeah we remember you know we still we still remember Lisa's pony it just feels a bit kind of, I don't know. And it does, there are so many singular similarities to the Family Guy episode. It is one of those cases again where the bo both of those episodes have come out and people are obviously going to make the comparison between the two of them. To be quite honest with you, I think Family Guy pulled it off better. I know that came several years after it, but um, I think I'd be inclined to agree. Overall, um, the Family Guy episode is better than this, so... To draw those comparisons is um, absolutely correct. And I can understand uh, now with your viewpoint of the whole concept being unnecessary. You're right, it is uh, 
a rehash. It's kind of like you did it right the first time, you don't need to go back and do it again. So Homer gets tricked into having a drink in the clubhouse with this uh, jockey, but it turns out it's not just a jockey, um, it's an elf. Kidnaps him and goes into a fucking underground lair of jockey elves. And this is, um, I guess, just the jumping shark moment, folks. Um, very understandable. This is just out of left field. That this, they don't even like tease you with anything. They don't even have like a couple of them using the same snigger or saying something weird to maybe suggest their elves. It's just out of nowhere, bollocks. Um, I can't think of any more. It's just, it's just season eleven shite. Like this is the worst of the worst folks and as much as I am an apologist for seasons 11 and 12 I can't do it with this uh please please take over Ellis I, I can't do it I don't know why you're looking at me like I mean honestly when I think of elves I think of the whole gags with like snap crackle and pop and once again going back to family guy I think it's something that they, they did, did it better. a lot better as well didn't they yeah I mean Matt Groening I love you I think you're, you know, you're an incredible man, but Seth MacFarlane has you on this. I'm sorry. And I never thought I'd say that, but Seth MacFarlane has you on the portrayal of not only a racing horse, but the elves and, you know, Homer going on about, oh yeah, we need to, we need to, otherwise we'll die, kind of also backs up the point of him being that character that does not care about his family that much. Well, and the fact Bart goes along with this ludicrous bollocks, like, why does he just blatantly, uh, just decides to go along with him? There's no questioning of anything. Like, did he really care about getting that horse in the first place if he's just going to be like, like, what, 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 what's the aim? What is the goal here? So with this threat, um, they go against the threat of the elves wanting to eat Homer's brain and have Duncan lose. So Duncan uh, finishes the race, or he battles through the race. Again, uh, I think the last positive thing I'll say about this episode, unfortunately, um, great action animation here of um, Duncan fighting off the jockeys and you know, flinging them about there and whipping them with their own sticks. That's the last good thing. I do like the animation on this. Yeah, I mean, it was a quirky little thing to put in and, you know, it kind of somehow reminded me, it kind of gave me a Gremlins kind of feel. Oh like, yeah, absolutely. They they look kind of cute to start off with, and then like this is like they're after midnight. Homer and Bart escape whilst the jockeys come down Evergreen Terrace to rain the pain upon them. But um, just like out of nowhere, Marge knew that oh he was going to lure the elves to the fucking house and sprays them down with water, and that's how you defeat elves, folks. You just spray them with water, and it looks like they've been snapped into, and then you just. <laughs> wrap them up in a bin bag and that's it. I mean, what I mean, is this? If that's all it takes to defeat an elf, then, I mean, isn't the, wouldn't the entire Legend of Zelda series just be like cut down to Ganondorf winning in the very, very first game just by spraying a little bit of water? There's a wa there's an entire dungeon like dedicated to being underwater. Is What makes elves so impervious to water? That's it, the elves are defeated. We're almost out of here, folks. Um, actually, no, final, final mini positive thing. You know, Duncan can go out to stud now, and he's basically looking through photos. He's treating these um, female horses like um, Tinder. 
just give him a little. I do like a lot of them, and like again, Jim Cummins' performance and the animation on the horse—it really makes it. You can see his little smiles and his shudders there. But we have someone ring the doorbell, and it's um, shagging around President Bill Clinton. Oh, what's he for here for? Turns out he oh, let's up... not forget the B plot. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you remembered. You know, Shagger Bill, he's come down and he's actually managed to read most of Lisa's letter. And he made sure that that um, Ogdenville win was turned over. And now she's got her plaque. A very, um, a very apt quote here from Bill saying, you know, oh, you've taught me the real lesson of, you know, if you just complain enough, your dreams will come true. Now, I'm... Not one of these folks, um, to, to date this episode, folks, um, I'm quite intrigued to see what the Joker film is going to be like. I'm not one of these that's um, dead in it before it comes out. I'm just going to wait for to see it and then I'll say my opinion. But a lot of people are critiquing it before it's uh, come out. So I'll just say it's um, a good link here. Old Bill's um, little quote and what's uh, currently happening. And yeah, we finish with Bill Clinton having a, ooh, a little cheeky look to camera saying, ho ho, I'm a pretty lousy president. And that's how we end it, folks. All right, we'll just quickly get to um, ratings and that and final thoughts to get this horrible taste out of our mouth. For me, um, as much as there's, I like the horse narrative. I like that story. However, the B plot's awful. The L's bit makes no sense. And it's just awful. Doesn't need to be in there. Can't think of any other synonyms. That's the uh, that's the thing. What a lot of critics say, like if you have a great finish, then people forget all the meandering beginning and middle. But this episode has the opposite effect. So with that, I'm going to give it a quite frankly generous two out of five metal horse dealies. What about yourself, Ellis? Take us away. I I agree with you. It's definitely a two out of five waving glow sticks. And I never want to remember that this episode is, exists ever again. But we did it. We, we somehow managed to review the entire episode, as painful as it was. Well, hopefully, when if we have you back on, we can help ourselves some lovely steak. We've had a veg. Now we get to enjoy the nice uh, steak, whatever that may be. Hopefully, a season five or a six or a seven for you. But um... Yeah, next time, if you pull a crappy episode, don't call on me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, please support at Ailey Bear on Twitter and uh, all other good handles and social media. Okay, let's pull on that random episode generator and see what comes out next. Pop on your moo moo and get ready to become a big fat dynamo because we're going to season seven for King Size Homer. Don't forget to like our Facebook page. That's Uncle Mo's Family Feedback, a Simpsons podcast. Same with Twitter and our SoundCloud as well, Uncle Mo's Family Feedback podcast. Take care, folks. Come to Uncle Mo's for family fun. It's good, 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 good. Mmm, sounds good.